Our scripture readings from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. You'll find that printed on your bulletin insert. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, we come before you. Um, we have gathered together today to bring you glory, um, to hear the good news of the gospel yet again, to be reminded of what a great and loving God you are. And Father, we now return to you from what you have first given to us. We return these tithes and these gifts and these offerings in order that you would use them in this world, in order that you would use them to bring you glory, to advance your kingdom upon this earth, in order that the good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to all the nations. And Father, as we prepare now to come before your word, we pray that you would help us, that you would help us to sit beneath it humble and confident, humble knowing that we are your creatures, and yet confident because we know that when you open your mouth to speak, you call the world into existence. When your son opened his mouth to speak, he spoke and the blind received their sight, the deaf were made to hear, the lame made to walk, and the dead came out of their tombs. And so we pray that you, by your word, would heal us this morning, that you would give us sight where there was blindness. We pray that by your word, you would even wake the dead among us this morning, come to life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to know this morning that we're far more broken than we could have ever imagined. But because of Jesus, we are far more loved and accepted and approved of than we could have ever dreamed possible. So we pray that you would take us to this good news. Remind us of it again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. 
Well, right now, uh, we are in a series uh, that we're calling Stories of the Kingdom. We're going, we're making our way through Luke's Gospel, but we're making our way through Luke's Gospel by looking at the stories that Jesus told. And so we're, you know, a lot of times we refer to these stories as Jesus and the biblical writers referred to them. We refer to them as parables. Um, but these, these are the stories that we're looking at over this fall um, semester, I guess, uh, in Luke's gospel. And what we have in the passage that we read earlier from Luke chapter 7 um, is an example of Jesus telling a parable inside of a narrative event, okay? So it's like a play within a play uh, is what you get in this passage. And what we are confronted with here, I think, is the amazing power of grace. You know, our highly esteemed uh, music director, Philip Heimbuch, um, the long-lost Duck Dynasty brother, um, <clears throat> uh, some of you know that Philip, he graduated from... Um, a school in Georgia, uh, Toccoa Falls College. And I read a little bit about that town and college and wanted to share a, one story with you. Um, on November 6, 1977, at 1.30 in the morning, a significant portion of that small town and college was utterly destroyed. Um, 39 people died in those early morning hours. And countless others were injured, um, and, and the town itself was just devastated. And what happened that evening was that the Kelly Barnes Dam, it, it was this embankment dam that had been modified several times over the years, it burst and it unleashed a torrent of water on that town in the middle of the night. And I read a number of things about this event, including a newspaper article from December of 1977. And the title of that article was Inspection Blamed for the Dam Break. Um, See, it rained on November 5th and 6th, but everyone concluded that it wasn't a very hard rainfall. It it didn't pour down rain those evenings. Um, But er So everyone concluded that the dam would have burst regardless whether it had rained or not on that evening. And so they were trying to blame those who had inspected the dam. And here's the interesting thing. Two hours before this dam burst, um, a fireman named Ron Genther and another man uh, conducted a routine inspection of that dam. Just two hours before the thing burst and destroyed that town. Um, And... And so so many people were blaming this inspection process. But what they eventually determined was that these men couldn't possibly have known that the the dam was about to burst. Just two hours before the dam exploded, everything looked fine. I mean, you looked at the surface of the dam and it looked like it always did. The countless other times that you had inspected the dam, nothing unusual was seen. And the water was in place and it was calm and everything looked fine on the surface. Uh, You know, just the gentle gentle ripples of the raindrops hitting the surface of the water. Nothing out of place. Everything looked fine. But unseen underneath all of that, the pressure was building. The dam had eroded internally. And that night, that placid, calm, tranquil lake or reservoir it exploded upon that town and devastated it. Now, it's a negative illustration, I know, 
So I hope I don't lose you with it. Um, but here's the point I want to impress on you. Um, maybe from a distance, unaffected and untouched by grace, it, grace can look unthreatening and calm and harmless and gentle. But the Bible says the opposite is actually true. Grace, when you really come into contact with it, it unleashes a tremendous power in your life. When the torrent of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ bursts upon you, the Bible says, it completely liberates you and moves you to love. And it radically changes you. And so those, those are the three points that I want us to consider this morning. That grace comes with the power to liberate you, to move you to love, and to radically change you. So first I want you to consider the power of grace to liberate you. To really, to really come into your life and set you free. You know, real quick, verse 47, it, it's an important verse. Not just for understanding the parable that Jesus told, but also for understanding the whole scene in Luke chapter 7. Because that verse is really, really how Jesus explains all of this, all of this woman's actions in this passage. So in verse 47, Jesus said, Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And I know that at first glance, you are tempted to look at that and think that Jesus might have been saying, because this woman loved, her sins are forgiven. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Really what he is saying is he's saying the proof that this woman has already had her many sins forgiven is right here in front of you. Look how much she loves. That is a result of grace, not a condition for it. See, she had past tense received grace. And so everything you see this woman do in this story is a result of that flood of grace that broke into her life. And right now, I want us to especially focus on the fact, uh, on, on the freeing, liberating power of grace. Here's the scene, right? Jesus had been invited into Simon the Pharisee's house for a meal. And you have to understand that at a feast like this, in this culture, more than just the, just the invited guests would have attended this meal. Because it was customary at a feast like this to open the doors of the home. And, and the people around could come inside. And they would stand off to the side and on the fringes around the meal itself. And they had the opportunity to listen into the conversation at that feast. And so this woman was in that group, in that fringe group, that unnoticed group on the fringes of that meal. And the guests of that meal, they would have been reclined, as many of you know, around that low table with their legs uh, extending behind them and their feet extending behind them. And they would be leaning on pillows. Um, roughly, that's the scene, right, uh, that I'm trying to paint for you here. And then something dramatic happened. You can almost, as you read through this story, just imagine the gasps and the whisperings and the pointed fingers and the murmuring, what in the world is this woman doing? Right? I, I mean, just on, on the very surface, you can tell in reading this story that she came to anoint Jesus and she didn't care what anyone else there thought. Right? I mean, she was free. She was somehow liberated 
from what any of the onlookers thought of her or what any of the religious establishment, the Pharisees, thought of her that evening. She interrupted the meal and she approached Jesus to anoint him. But overwhelmed with and overcome by emotion, she burst into tears. And the word for weeping there in verse 38 isn't a word that you would use for just a, you know, a lone solitary tear trickling down her face. I mean, the word weeping there is used elsewhere to describe a downpour of rain. I mean, this woman was sobbing. She was causing a scene and everyone was looking. All attention upon her and what she was doing. And so without a towel, she let down her hair to wipe his feet dry and then proceeded to kiss Jesus' feet. I mean, just on the surface, you realize how liberated this woman was. I mean, but add to this scene the cultural context, right? And it becomes even more clear. Because you see, it was considered a gesture of supreme intimacy for a woman to let her hair down. It was considered such a gesture of intimacy that a woman could be divorced simply for letting her hair down in the presence of another man. It was that significant a symbol of vulnerability and openness and intimacy. I mean, are you beginning to understand why I'm talking about the liberating power of grace here? I mean, she was free. She didn't care what anyone thought of her or her actions. It was all so public what she did. And it was all so risky even beyond the gasps and the whispers and the pointed fingers. You know, you and I, we are... A, a conflicted people. Do you realize this about yourself? That on the one hand, we long for that kind of freedom. I mean, we long to be able to be who we are and to let it all out in the open. The ability to be that open, that risky, that free, that transparent, that open. But at the same time, this is why we're so conflicted. Nothing terrifies us more than that. I mean, because what if you let yourself be that open? I mean, you are terrified at the prospect of what other people will think and how you will be received and if you will be rejected and if you let yourself be known that someone will see you and turn around and run as far as, as far and as fast as they could to be away from you. I mean, it's quite a quandary here, right? And I'm telling you, only grace has the power to set you free like this. You know, a favorite story of mine that I've told a number of times comes from a week when I worked at a camp just north of Memphis. And during the middle of that week-long youth camp, the whole camp got on buses and we went to what used to be Liberty Land in Memphis. Some of you remember Liberty Land Amusement Park. Um, sad little park, right? Uh, a lot of little games, three rides, not much to it. Um, and after 30 minutes, I had wrote... I had ridden all the rides multiple times because um, there's no lines at Liberty Land. That was one nice thing about it. Um, and so I got myself another Memphis deal. You know, I bought myself a Pronto pup and a, and a Coke, and I sat down on a bench. Right? And as I'm sitting there, as I'm sitting there, I, I'm watching people walk by, right? And all of a sudden, I notice everybody whispering and some people giggling and laughing and others pointing. 
And so I followed their stares and their pointed fingers to what they were looking at. And throughout the park, they had these mist machines, you know, that would spray continually. And you'd walk under in the middle of July, hot in Memphis, and get cooled off under one of those mist machines. But in this particular mist machine, a father and his daughter were playing underneath those fine droplets of water and the puddles that had gathered underneath, right? But everyone was staring and whispering and laughing and pointing. Because this man's daughter, who was probably about nine years old, was horribly deformed, physically handicapped. On one side of her body, the arm and the leg were twice as long as they were on the other side completely asymmetrical body. And it looked awkward to see her hobble and move back and forth as she was dancing with her father. But they were laughing under that mist machine and they were playing and eventually he picked her up, put her on her shoulders and they were spinning underneath that mist machine. Loving it, having a great time. But here's the thing. She, on that day, was completely, completely oblivious to all the stares and all the whispers and all the murmuring and all the giggling. And and you know why? I think you know why. Because she had the smile. She had the delight and she had the approval. She had the pleasure of her father. And so who cares what anyone else thinks? You and I, we hunger for and yet are terrified by this freedom. And and so terrified and insecure, what do we do? We keep trying to earn the smiles, right? And gain the approval and merit the acceptance. And we practice enough restraint, right? Not to upset the decorum and the status quo. And we dance the expected dance with all of our friends and all of our peers. But what if you knew What if it were true? And what if you knew, not just intellectually, but you knew it down to the very bottom of your soul, that you had the smile and the delight and the complete unwavering approval and pleasure of Jesus? I mean, don't you see? This woman, she got it. She had that smile. This woman got it. And grace unleashed its power And liberated this woman. I wonder if you noticed when we read that passage earlier. This woman is certainly right at the center of this story in Luke chapter 7. But not one time in the whole entire story does she ever say a word. But her actions are what speak a thousand words. She had been set free by the power of grace. Second, I want you to see... That grace gives you the power to love. And this is where the story that Jesus told in verses 41 through 42 comes into real sharp focus. But here, just get the, get the flow of the whole story. This woman had just anointed and wiped and kissed Jesus' feet. And this, I think, is really funny in the text. Simon, is, it says, is thinking to himself, right, in verse 39. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Don't have time to get all into it. But he is thinking... This woman is a known prostitute. She's an unclean sinner. And if Jesus knew who she was and what she was, 
There is no way he would let her touch him. If he was a prophet, he would know. What's funny about that? Um, It must have been a little unnerving for Simon to have been thinking Jesus was not a prophet and then have Jesus answer not his words, but his thoughts. That must have startled him a little bit. Verse 4, and Jesus answering, again, his thoughts, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Yeah, he's saying, Simon, yes, I know her just like I can see through you to your very thoughts. And then Jesus told this story, right? A pretty simple story. There were two debtors, and they were both in debt and unable to pay. But one was in debt ten times as much as the other. And the actual math works out to something like one person was in debt the amount of two months' wages and the other uh, in debt to the amount of a year and a half's worth of wages. A big difference between the debts. And Jesus is driving this point home. Which one will love more when both of their debts have been canceled? How about this? How about if I told you that I stopped by your house last week? You weren't home. I saw your mail sitting there. And so I decided to pay a bill for you. What would your response be? And immediately you see the problem. You don't know what your response would be until you know what that bill was. Right? I mean, what if I paid your $40 a month internet fee or something like that? That, That's one kind of response. But what if I told you I saw your mortgage and I paid off your house for you? It's a whole different kind of response there. Right. See, Simon got it. The one who had the larger debt canceled would absolutely love more. And so Jesus pressed his point of pointed application deeper. You can see all this in verses 44 through 47. Jesus pointed out that he came into Simon's house, but his feet weren't washed. He wasn't greeted with a kiss and he hadn't been anointed with oil. You see, these were the normal customs of hospitality that were shown to guests in this culture. Simon had invited Jesus into his home, but then Simon kept Jesus at an arm's length, right? He stiff-armed Jesus. I mean, it was cold and it was impersonal and it was public what he did to Jesus. But this woman, whose many sins had been forgiven, she was moved by warm, right, personal, affectionate love for Jesus. And she washed Jesus' feet not with water, but with her tears. And she gave Jesus not a kiss on the cheek, but a kiss on his feet. And not just a drop of, you know, cheap olive oil to anoint his head, but she anointed his feet with costly, expensive perfume. Only grace has the power to warm and melt our icy hearts to love like this. This past summer, I took Jennifer and two of our kids, Jennifer's my wife, two of our kids to Greenville, South Carolina, uh, to participate in our denomination's national meeting, our annual meeting. And it took us about 10 hours to drive to Greenville. And and so you need to picture tired and hungry and, um, you know, mom and dad and two little kids Getting a little on the edge of cranky for sure. Um, Been cramped up in the car for a long time. And so we pulled into our hotel to check in. And long story short, they had canceled our reservation. And the real kicker is why. (laughs) 
Um, See, I had made the reservations months ago, but I had made the reservations for the day before we had arrived. And so when I didn't show up the day before, they canceled my reservations. Um, And so add, add to this fact that Jennifer had told me the week before, I think we should leave on Monday instead of Tuesday. It just seems like that's when the meeting starts. Um, and I blew her off, and I said, oh, no, my stuff's not till Tuesday. I, I reserved the hotel starting on Tuesday. Okay, during all this, she's getting the kids out of the car, unpacking all the luggage and all that kind of stuff, right? And I had not told her yet what had happened. I was frantically calling hotels in Greenville, trying to find a room, and I had called 15 hotels, and there was no room, no room in the inn for the turquoise, right? And, um, and so eventually I had to break the news to her. And she was just so kind and so nice. I mean, she just said, it's okay. We'll, we'll eventually find something. And let me tell you, it freaked me out that she acted like that. I mean, it bothered me. It disturbed me. I was like, this is not how it's supposed to go down. You know, and, and you know, I was expecting a tongue lashing. I told you so. How could you? You were so irresponsible, right? What, what are we going to do now? Um, well, finally, we found the last room in town. And up to this point, I had been apologizing like every two minutes uh, for, for my blunder here. It, it just something was not computing here for me. And I thought, oh, man, as soon as we get into that hotel room and we close the door, I know what's going on. She's been waiting for there to be no witnesses. <laughs> and then she's going to give it to me. But it never came. It never came. I kept apologizing, never came. And it freaked me out. It made me uneasy, um, and it disturbed me. And let me, let me stop right here and tell you something. You know that you are getting close to understanding grace when it disturbs you, when it shocks you, when it makes you feel uncomfortable a little bit. Because you know This is not what you deserve. Because instinctively you know grace extended like that, grace like that, it is demanding. It is powerful and it will turn your world upside down. Now what do you think happened when it finally, when it finally sunk in for me that my wife forgave me and and that she wasn't going to make me pay, right? And that I wasn't going to have to work to win her approval back. And that she wasn't going to make me pay my debts. Pretty simple. I thought, man, I'm an idiot. How could I have made the reservations and not shown up on the right day? And then I thought, man, I am a genius for marrying this woman. Um, Obviously, I'm a genius. Um, I mean, it moved me. And it melted me to deeper and deeper love for her. And listen, I don't know. If that little story right there, if it even counts as a tiny drop compared to the flood of grace that we are talking about here. I mean, this woman, she was a prostitute. And so, listen, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or where you've been. It does not matter. Your sin, your brokenness can never be larger than Jesus's grace. And when that sinks in, that he refuses to make you pay your debts, that he welcomes you as you are forgiven, 
completely and entirely. When grace like that blasts through your self-righteous defensiveness and your vain attempts to pay your debts down, you will finally be set free to love and the ice around your heart will crack. Finally, then, I want to point out one other thing, and it's this. Grace gives you the power to change. See, I think this is one of, the, one of the th- those things that we all want to know, right? Whether you're a Christian or not this morning, is change in this life really possible? Because I, I'm not talking here about surfacy behavioral change, although that gets involved, but it's secondary. I'm talking about radical, deep change. Change so deep that it cannot help but change the stuff on the surface of your life and behavior. But the real change takes place far deeper. A change not just at the level of behavior, but a change at the very level of identity. A change in who you are. Right? So where do I get this from this story? I've already mentioned the alabaster jar of perfume and the fact that this woman was a prostitute, right? These alabaster jars or flasks, um, they, um, they were these flasks that had a really long, thin neck, right? And, and the perfume inside was very, very expensive. And to pour it out, you actually had to break the neck of that bottle in order to pour it out. And once you broke the neck of that bottle and poured it out, it was useless. It was gone. You had to use it all right then. And here, it, here is what women you use this perfume for. They would tie a string around it and hang it around their necks and let it hang down in front of them so that the sweet-smelling perfume would rise up in order to sweeten their breath. This is before Tic Tacs and Scope mouthwash, right? And you've got to understand how valuable perfume like this would have been to a woman like this whose profession was to allure men, right? And to appeal to men. I mean, it was her power. It was her leverage. I mean, it was how she made herself desirable and attractive. So what's happened? So what is happening when this woman takes that perfume and pours it out to anoint Jesus' feet? I think you probably realize where this is going. She is saying, I don't need this perfume anymore. Right? She is saying, that's not who I am anymore. Right? See, grace, it isn't harmless. It isn't weak. It isn't unthreatening or calm. It has the power to recreate you, to give you a whole new identity. No longer do I need this lifestyle to give my life value or meaning. No longer do I need to jump through the hoops to make myself attractive. No longer do I determine my own worth, right, by my desirability to the opposite sex. Just do, you know, just do me a favor here and insert whatever it is in your life that you seek your identity through. Your parenting skills, right? Your career, your money, your social group, your power, your whatever. She, she, is, she is saying... That grace has given me value, worth, and significance. That it has given me approval, meaning, and purpose for my life. The power of grace came and changed me from the inside out. I don't need this anymore. I'm brand new. Look, I I wish I could do more with this. 
But, you know, it'd be nice to tidy it all up with a story here. But let me give you just a few bits of applications here as we close. One, if you're not a Christian this morning, I, I would love the opportunity to talk to, to talk to you about Jesus and his powerful grace that can set you free, that can move you to love and radically change you from the inside out. You know, if that's you, come and find me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about it, but more, but far more important than that, than you coming to talk to me, is you coming to Jesus. Go to him and find peace. The last thing Jesus said to this woman in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus will not ask you to pay down your debt. He asks you to trust him. And if you do, he promises you peace and his grace that will change you. And second and related to that, why won't Jesus ask you to pay down your debt? Because, you know, that seems what's natural to you. And that's why grace is so shocking. And why is the only thing that you need to do is to trust him? Because listen, this is the gospel. Jesus came and he was far more than just a prophet like Simon hinted at in this passage. The people at the meal were right to ask in verse 49, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus was claiming to be far more than just a prophet. He was claiming to be the prophet. He was claiming to be God in the flesh, the only one who can forgive your sins. And God is able to forgive your sins and not ask you to pay down your debts because God, God himself came into this world to pay down your debts completely and fully to take it all upon himself when he died upon the cross. Only trust him. Only trust him as the hymn goes. Third, some of you are thinking, I thought I was a Christian, um, but I don't feel free and liberated like this. And I feel, I, I don't feel like I'm changing. You know, and, and I feel coldness in my heart where I know there should be love. You know, I quoted someone the other day on, on Twitter, <laughs> um, just to show you how cool I am and hip, um, who said this, um, our hearts are like a bucket of water on a cold day. They will freeze over unless we regularly smash the ice that is forming. How do you smash the ice that continually wants to form around your heart? It's not all that different from what I just said Go to Jesus, get to know him again through his word and prayer. Be reminded again of the be reminded again that the good news really is that good. And the gospel isn't just for those who who have who have not come to Jesus yet, but it's for you, too. And so you have to use it regularly to smash the ice that's forming around your heart. Finally, and very briefly, let me just say this. Our church plant here is a year old, and I want you to help me build a church like this. A church that is not full of Simons. And we could have done a whole sermon just on Simon from that perspective. But we want to build a church that is full of people like this woman. I want you to reach out. I want you to share this good news to help me build a church as welcoming as Jesus was to this woman. A church filled with grace and mercy like Jesus showed to this woman. So will you? Will you do that? We both can and will when grace like this bursts upon us. 
You know, I, I love that song by the band U2 that I quoted on the front of your bulletin. And I'm asking you, do you believe it? Where he says, grace, it's a name for a girl, but it's also a thought that changed the world. Let's pray together. Father, many of us believe and pray that you would help our unbelief at the same time. That grace really does change the world and change us. Father, we pray that you would help us to see what this woman saw in Jesus. More than just a prophet, the prophet. God himself who came, who alone is able to forgive sins. That we would see that he has fully and finally paid all our debts upon the cross. And I pray that you would sink this truth deep into our hearts. Deep into our hearts so that it would bear fruit. And some of that fruit we see here in this passage. That knowing that we are loved and accepted and secure and all our sins are forgiven in Jesus. We get liberated. We get free. That we begin to love much as we have been forgiven much. And that we are changed from the inside out. Father, we pray that you by your spirit would take your word and apply it to our hearts. That we would experience the flood of grace breaking upon our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.